Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. While social media is wonderful in so many ways, there's a sinister subsection that's cause for concern. On any given day, you can find an alarming number of videos about food that lead into harmful dieting trends and often they glorify unhealthy eating habits. This week's Food for Thought sees Dr. Joshua Woolrich and I explore how we can all improve our relationship with food from an evidence-based perspective. Hello, Joshua. Hello, good morning. You are now a published author, and I think it's a wonderful book, Food Isn't Medicine, and I'd love to chat to you today and basically delve into the world of nutrition with you, if that's okay. That would be fine. Published author is quite a nice title, isn't it? It's quite, <laughs> it's quite fun. I feel like I've, I've been welcomed to the club. You, you have indeed. <laughs> Welcome to a very, very cool club. So I think if we begin the podcast today by discussing Let's go straight in with the hashtag, what I mm. eat in a day. I mean, it's had 3.6 billion, yes, billion views on TikTok alone. And it, it's dangerous, Joshua. It sees women eating very few calories, I'm sure, well, men and women, actually. But yet, not one evidence-based health professional does this. So what are your thoughts on this hashtag? Well, some of them do, but I won't. I won't uh, get into my thoughts on exactly that kind of person at the moment. Um, but well, look, it's just a lie. Like it's a complete lie. Um, the, this, this, what I eat in a day stuff. If if people are telling the truth about what they eat in a day, most of the time it's done with a weight loss goal in mind, right? That's that tends to be why people are sharing these these things. It's like, well, look at me. This is what I eat, and if you eat like me, you can look like me, which mm. is a problematic sentiment in and of itself. But it's also nonsense because people just show what they want to show. I remember when I used to, um, when my Instagram account and social media stuff used to be weight loss focused. And there was so much stuff that I was doing at the time that I would never admit to. I would never show online because you have a pristine kind of, you, you want to show the stuff that makes you look good, right? And whether I was doing that consciously or subconsciously, it's stuff I've, I can think back on and identify now. But at the time, it was just like, I'm not going to show the disordered stuff I'm doing. I'm just going to show the nice pictures of food that I'm eating as well. Mm. Um, and so not only is it a lie, but it, it continues to propagate this idea that we should be copying each other's habits and copying each other's food preferences. And and if we just do what somebody else is supposedly doing, we will look like them and we will be thin like them and we will be healthy like them. And it's it's just nonsense. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I have to say, I think, I don't think some people do it intentionally. So I do believe that there are online influencers that perhaps use this what I eat in a day hashtag perhaps on YouTube or in all sorts of social media platforms that genuinely believe because the education isn't there what we're discussing hasn't been out there enough um, that what they're doing is inspiring others and helping others what do you think about mm. that side of the equation the flip side of the coin well I think there's 
there's two aspects, right? I think a lot of the what I eat in a day stuff that I see tends to be around um, specific dietary patterns. Mm. So things like veganism, for example. Um, uh, let's stick with that one because that one isn't isn't inherently problematic in and of itself. Yeah. I was going to say also like keto, but we can get to that in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. So if we take veganism, there are people who will be quite inspired by, okay, here here are ways that I can actually eat interesting meals that are vegan and I don't have to just stick to the boring stuff, which is what vegan is often kind of portrayed as, whereas it doesn't have to be. And so some of that stuff is great, Um, Mm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be a what I eat in a day. It's more just, I guess it could be quite easily changed to here are some interesting food ideas, Um, but it's just done in a vlog style and it's what I eat in a day and that kind of makes more sense. And I guess with that stuff, if um, if there's no aesthetic or weight loss uh, link to it then it's not perhaps quite as quite as problematic it may not be problematic at all um so there's definitely a side to it on on that end where it can be useful for people to find new food ideas just like people would look through a cookbook it's it's just mm. that it's a new medium in in you know the 21st century of looking on social media for food and recipe ideas mm. But I, I would probably argue that that's a minority of the what I eat in a day mantra that goes out there. Um, mm. So, I, yeah, I, uh, there's, I don't think people are necessarily <laughs> doing it deliberately. I think people really are sharing what they believe, even when it is problematic. But I think that that in and of itself describes the problem, that yeah. people still believe that if everybody just ate what they did or what they portrayed to do, then everybody's problems would be, would be fixed or solved. And, and so I'm going to try and help you because I really want to, I really want to help. It's, it's, it's um, unintended ignorance. I would, I would probably label it. That's, that's the best way to describe it. Unintended ignorance. Um, I think the consumer has a lack of education on what they're consuming just as much as the content creator has a lack of education as to what perhaps could be interpreted with the uh, content that they put out there, especially because we are all completely unique. And of course, one diet, as we know, is definitely not going to be right for everybody. And self-reporting nutrition data in itself is blooming tricky i mean if you ask anybody to remember what they actually ate in a day when they're not filming it it's unlikely that they maybe even captured everything on film there could have been snacks in between here and there that wasn't shown because it didn't look a certain way so i'm glad we've started with discussing that particular area because we definitely want to be thinking more about what we're putting in don't we rather than it's always taking out with nutrition isn't it taking out everything <laughs> it's always finding things to avoid right it mm. kind of that tends to be the um that tends to be the go to doesn't it it's it's what what is not going to work for me what am i in quote intolerant to what am i what should i be avoiding because it's bad in quotes for me rather than just let's focus on the good stuff but but let's be honest the reason why we do that is because if we're talking about taking out it makes us feel more safe and more secure because taking out everything around food is also wrapped up in our desire to be thin and what we look like. So taking out feels safer than adding in because yeah. we, we've spent so much of our life, the vast majority of us, trying to remove what we eat or what we want to eat because we're concerned about that making us put on weight. And so in thinking about including, changing our mindset to what can we put in can feel really scary because that is wrapped up in this fear of, uh, but if I add stuff in, I'm going to be eating in quotes too much and then I'm going to put weight on and oh, it's just much safer for me to stay what I'm doing and take out instead because then I've, you know, best of both worlds. Mm, it's, it's, it is a conditioned society in the Western culture anywhere, especially here in the UK. I think you grow up with subliminal messages everywhere from advertising in the media, um, negative connotations surrounding food all the time. Oh, I shouldn't be eating that or I shouldn't be doing this. And oh, I really should just be doing that. It's a constant punishment almost. And Mm. food has been seen. And this is what I know you've spent a lot of time researching and writing a book upon and has been spoken of as replacing medicine, so food and medicine. I think there's such a confusion there, Joshua, with the fact that you and I both know that food can have a wonderful impact on health, but would you go as far as calling it medicine? 
I mean, you think you know? I think I think you and most people know my answer to that one, <laughs> based on the title of the book. Um, no, food isn't medicine. Uh, that, I mean, and that's not a scary thing. People get scared about that. People kind of freak out when they hear that statement. They're like, no, 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 hang on. But that, but that means that that means that I'm not in control. That means that the food that I've been taking or food I've been eating to try and heal certain things or prevent certain things, that, that means it's not working. Like, no, 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 no. I would much rather stick with this statement of food is medicine. Mm. But it's it's incredibly problematic for many, many reasons. Um, yeah. ju- just to clarify, food is food. Medicine is medicine. They are both mm. very important and can both be very beneficial for us, but they are not the same thing. And no. although they can influence each other they can't replace each other and so this this phrase food is medicine not only is it just wrong from a scientific perspective which i talk about in the book but i think is is probably best that you read that book rather than specifically try and delve into the science here but to kind of just overview that there are two different types of scientific discipline that we're talking about here. One is biomedical science, which looks at the mm. way the interactions of drugs and pharmaceuticals with the body and the, the body's pathways. And, and that is the kind of science we learn at medical school. And then there's nutritional science that looks at the way that nutrients interact with the body. And that's not the same thing. And if we look at nutritional science from a perspective of biomedical science, we can very easily fall into this trap of believing that nutrients can act like drugs. Mm. And it's a very, very common sentiment for doctors to have because it feels nice. Like it's, oh, well, I can I can stop <laughs> prescribing medication to my patients. Like, this is great. This is a way I can really get involved in lifestyle medicine, which is a great thing and should be a good thing. But this is a way I can do it and I can start using food in my practice. And But it's coming from a really problematic place of yeah. misunderstanding the uh, the ultimate impact that food can have and over-egging it. Um, and there's not to say food's not important, but we need to have context as to what it can do and what it can't do to mm. be able to actually treat it with the respect it deserves and not get into situations that we are very much in at the moment where people are trying to cure diseases with dietary patterns. And yeah, that, that's the worrying oh, bit. You've yeah. written in your book, Joshua, um, I know there's lots of different areas you delve into. There's quite a bit about food and cancer because I know there's a lot of online myths there. And then even even online to statements such as the carnivore diet can cure autoimmune disease. That's incredibly worrying. Oh, it is just... I mean that's just the latest one. Give it, give it a, give it a month or two, and it'll be, it'll be something else. But um, yeah, I just th- th- there's there's a much wider conversation when it comes to some of these conditions, and I think there are certain medical conditions that are rife for this food is medicine rhetoric to kind of delve its way in and and start to convince people to buy certain meal plans or to buy books that claim that this is going to cure you, and a lot of it is around situations where medicine doesn't necessarily have an answer and we don't like that we don't like the fact or we don't like to admit or to acknowledge that medicine can't cure everything um Mm. but that's not that's not necessarily a failing of medicine it's more a reality of the fact that we're not going to live forever and our bodies aren't perfect and they do things do go wrong and we can't always reverse that um, it doesn't mean we're not trying. It doesn't mean that we're not, you know, researching things and looking into tr- possible solutions to try and make people's lives better. And it doesn't mean we can't make people's lives better already. But when we come across something, let's take autoimmune diseases that can't, for the vast, vast, vast majority of them, can't be cured. Um, and doctors say they can't be cured because that's the honest truth. But we can say, well, look, this is what we can do to try and help manage it. That doesn't feel it doesn't feel right for a lot of people. People are like, no, there must be something I can do. Yeah. And in comes functional medicine, in comes naturopaths, in comes mm. chiropractors, in comes uh, social media influencers that don't have any other title, um, and they tell you that they can cure you. And so, of course, that's going to be intriguing, because that's what you want, right? That's that's. Yeah. It, that that that's the desire it's not your fault that that you want to believe that kind of stuff but it doesn't mean that it's true and cancer is one of the other ones as well where it, not only are there certain cancers that we can't cure and we can't treat properly and so it's a, it, it fits into that same bracket of making it easier for other people to come in with a promise but there's also the fact that cancer treatments are horrible mm. um and so 
if you can replace something that is really not very nice, like chemotherapy or radiotherapy, and we can't make those feel good, they are just horrible treatments, but they're the only options we have for a lot of the a lot of the cancer cases. If you can replace that with food, that's a winner, right? Like that's, of course you would choose that. Of course you would. Like if you could go on a juicing regimen for, for six weeks, instead of having to do chemotherapy, you would choose the juicing every time. Even if you hated veg and fruit, you would still mm. choose the juicing mm. because chemotherapy makes you feel shit. So mm. you're, it's, it's playing on people's fear around their health. It's playing yeah. on people's vulnerability. Yeah. When it comes to things that they truly believe should be curable and somebody has told them it's not. And it's uh, it's really disingenuous and it's it's not okay. <laughs> I mean, I find it really upsetting. I, I find life is life is unfair, and there are some terrible things out there. And I feel like it's even more unfair when you do have people saying that they can do these miraculous things that we quite simply know are not possible. It's mm. it's the charlatans, the word I, I suppose mm -hmm. that you, you would use. And I guess nutrition is wonderful and it can be preventative. And I think that's, that's the inspiring thing about nutrition is that you can lower a risk of something by living a good life. And, but that's just lowering a risk. We're not saying you, something may never happen. If we move on from cancer and nutrition because I know that's a humongous subject and it's going to open a huge can of worms I'm going to have to do a whole episode for in itself <laughs> um let's talk about the difference between because I know you talk about weight stigma a lot um about health versus um aesthetics um and how interwoven these things seem to have become in the medical community as well I think it's an area that should again awareness needs to be brought to you mm, massively well i mean we we practice medicine um and this isn't just this isn't just in the uk or the us this is pretty much globally um <coughs> we practice and we learn medicine in a very weight-centric manner mm. meaning that we place weight pretty much at the center of what we consider health to be and we consider weight to um kind of be the uh, uh the be all and the end all of what needs to be addressed or changed or looked at first. And it's a really, it's a really harmful way of practicing medicine, but it's a way that we don't, we're, we're kind of a bit blind to acknowledging just how harmful it is. Um, because it, it, I mean, the way I was taught it, it just kind of made sense. Like it, it, I didn't notice any of this kind of stuff when I was going through medical school. It was only afterwards when I was being introduced to things and going, hang on a sec, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. Like, mm. um, so we, we, we get taught medicine in that manner. And what that does is because weight is one of those things that is, um, that can be quite visual. Again, there's issues there with, with that statement in and of itself, but we tend to think of weight and fat tissue and things as being a very visual representation. Yeah. And so we then start linking health with what we look like. And it, it really confuses matters because we then, it, it, it kind of transfers that thinking over to the public as well. And people start judging what, how, how they are, how they are in their health, how they're doing with what they look like and their aesthetics. And it changes it changes our attitudes to everything because if all we're doing um, when it comes to our health or when it comes to well-being is trying to change what we look like, it gives whole new um, it gives whole new feelings and a whole new kind of responsibilities to the things that we're doing, like exercise, like food. And I remember, I remember the one that the, the first time that I was. Uh, that, that I started actually kind of craving vegetables and it wasn't to do with what I looked like was this really weird, really weird feeling. Because up until then, <laughs> my entire life, I'd either been told to eat my veg by my parents yeah. because it was good for me, or when I then started to be able to choose my own food for myself, the only reason I would choose veg was because I thought it was going to make me thinner. And right. It was this weird, it was really weird and I hadn't really recognized it, but it was, and I think a lot of people would probably, if they're acknowledging it properly, would probably feel quite similar yeah. um, where they're going, well, I'm including veg on my plate because it's got low calories and therefore it's going to fill me up and, you know, I'm going to not eat as much and maybe I won't be so hungry and I'll have less dessert and I'll be, you know, I'll be less fat. And the mm. first time I was then like, oh, hang on. I actually just want some veg because I feel like I need more veg. 
It was, mm. it was, it was wonderful, but it was weird. And I was like, why is this, why has it taken like, you know, 26, 27 years of my life to get to a point where I want veg because it's yeah. good for me. Um, and you know, that wasn't anything that changed during medical school either. Medical school didn't unlearn that. Like it was just a continued thing of everything that I do in my life. If I'm somebody who has, um, I don't necessarily like the word struggled because I don't think it should be, but people understand what you mean when you say struggled mm. with your weight. If you're somebody who has been exposed to weight stigma, if you're someone that's been exposed to being told that you're too fat and you need to lose weight, mm. if that's something that has happened in your life, everything starts getting wrapped up in, all of your decisions start getting wrapped up in that. Yeah. Um, and that continues to get propagated by the medical profession as well. And it is, mm. it's a big issue. I think um, it was something that... Um, I realized going to university to study nutrition straight away was appearances and aesthetics. For me, it was life-changing, have nothing to do with your health. And it's mm. one of the first things we're taught because obviously you can be underweight, um, a healthy weight and still not be ideally healthy. It doesn't matter how you look, it's what's going on obviously on the inside and what you've said is right and we see it in clinic again and again and again the psychology and nutrition that's interwoven together are rife and it's incredibly important to make behavior changes or to let go you have to be able to let go of these inbuilt rules and ways that we've seen the world it's like unlearning that's the way I used to describe it unlearning everything you thought you knew and starting again. And one of the biggest things that we always found in the clinic, and this is from the very early days before I even had a team at Retrition, it was just myself, was that BMI was incredibly confusing for my clients. And I think it's still still in the same position now. Um, what are your thoughts on using, obviously, because you come from the medical side of things as well, mm. BMI in um, terms of health today? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, incredibly problematic. Mm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's still, I, I, I'm not surprised it's still confusing for people because nothing's changed. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's the same, it's the same um, simplistic equation to give you a number that doesn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. Like it, it literally doesn't mean anything. It, it, is a, it is a number based on your height and weight that means nothing. It's just a number. And we have assigned meaning to it because as humans and as, as a society and as, a, as medics, we like, we like brackets. We like kind of black and white thinking. We like putting things into, into sections and putting things into categories. And so we, we kind of, we want to do that in terms of, well, here's a number we can determine, okay, good. Well, this, now I can use this number and decide whether or not I need to exercise more, but it's, it's really harmful. Um, mm -hmm your your weight your your health is not defined by that number in any yeah. way shape or form and even just at a simplistic note you can tell that based on the fact that there are strict cutoffs between these supposed categories and so if you you know if you put on like half a kilogram 
you're suddenly unhealthy the next day. That's clearly nonsense. Like that's just mm. not how that works. Um, and and yet we are still very strict with these cutoffs. Um, BMI as at a population level can be useful. And what yeah. I mean by that is, you know, when you, because there are so many flaws to it, when you then take an overall measure of millions of people in a population, mm. those flaws kind of even out. And so some of those discrepancies can can kind of get lost. And so as at a, at a population level, as a statistic, it can be useful for certain things. But at an individual level, it's useless. Like, mm. and it's super lazy. We have like, uh, even in a very weight-centric environment of going through medical school, we learn an awful n different number of ways of assessing somebody's health. Yeah, and BMI is never the 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 be all and end all of that in any way, shape, or form. And mm. if we remove BMI entirely from our assessment, we can still just as easily work out and assess somebody's health. And yeah. I would argue that we should be because it actually confuses matters because it it gives us a bias because BMI is probably one of the first things. And so if we're let's say someone's BMI is twenty seven, which ironically statistically at a population level is supposedly the the healthiest um, bmi even mm. though it's in the overweight category mm. um we we have a, a bmi of 27 and that's the first thing that you see on a screen at a doctor's office and you go okay well automatically before you assess anything else it's labeled as overweight and therefore yeah. unhealthy yeah and so everything else you're looking for your bias can change what and how you interpret those following results. I'll give, give you one example, something like blood pressure. I've spoken to many people who, are, who live in larger bodies who would, be, who would identify as fat, who have had their blood pressure taken an extraordinary amount of times because doctors or nurses didn't believe the blood pressure result that was being given mm, yeah. because they expected it to be high. They expected yeah. it to be bad. And so they would take a blood pressure, it would be normal, and they'd go, Oh, well, well, we'll just take it again. Mm. And I had one one person I spoke to had it taken six times before oh. they finally were like, "Oh well, this is I mean, I guess pressure. I guess it's okay. <laughs> we'll make sure we check it again next time." Like they yeah. still didn't believe it. Yeah. And something like BMI can cause that change in your mind, can cause that bias to take place where you've got a BMI reading and then you suddenly go, oh, well, crap, I need to make sure that their blood pressure is not high. Oh, well, it looks normal. Maybe we're using the wrong machine. Maybe yeah. we should check it again. Maybe we should bring you in again early next time to take it again. Like that, it's it's not good. It leads to no. bad healthcare in both ways. Because and not only not does that happen- to go back. You know, they're not going to yeah. want to go back again if they've been treated in that particular way. And you've raised a really valid point here in the fact that we are unique individuals, which we hammer home on this podcast a lot. But I mean, unless you you're, I guess, looking at extreme ends of the spectrum, like maybe bariatric surgery or eating disorders, for the bulk of the population, this does not speak volumes for their current situation and how they should be treated moving forwards. But again, I mean, even eating disorders, it's a problem that we have BMI yeah. as a defining factor. To get people um, help, yeah. It's yeah, not... because we, we assume something as stereotypical as anorexia nervosa, we assume mm -hmm. that that can only affect people at a very low BMI. Yeah. And although that would be the way that it was originally defined, we're, we're quite clear now that this isn't something that you have to meet a certain BMI to, to actually be get dealing help. with this or yeah. need to be helped with this. And we, I mean, you know, it's, it's an issue. It's a minefield. <laughs> That's a huge topic. I mean, I feel I must, um, we have this all the time in the clinic with the eating disorder area. And it's because we're obviously in private healthcare, the retrition clinic, we get a lot of people that have been turned away from NHS services numerous times. Um, I will move on from this area because there's too much that I want to ask you. <laughs> I think ultimately, what would you say are the most sustainable methods then in order for people that want to lose weight? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that are scared to say anything at all. They don't they don't feel welcomed if they don't want to lose weight, they do want to lose weight, they just want to do something, they want to eat better. What are the best practices for people? Where should they go? What are the sustainable methods that you would encourage somebody that's really confused and just doesn't know what to do because their doctor just isn't listening uh well so i don't think that sustainable methods for weight loss are necessarily a thing mm -hmm. um, and what i mean by that is i don't think there's any real evidence that we can point to to say well this is one of them um because the 
in regards to the the evidence that we do have in regards to the research that we do have around people who have lost weight and for some reason have kept it off still the vast majority of them are still on what you would class as a diet they mm. are still constantly ca- tracking and counting what they're eating they are doing quite obsessive and aggressive exercise on a daily basis they are weighing themselves every day they are very rigid in their eating habits so they they don't allow themselves to be flexible with their food that those are the criteria that that represent the population who have lost weight and are keeping it off and that's, that's not eating yeah, yeah and that so that's not yeah. healthy to me that doesn't make any sense and so i can't with good conscience if somebody asks me what are the sustainable methods of weight loss i can't give them any any an answer to that mm. but what i would say and what i do say is i go well let's this might be this might sound weird at first but let's actually just focus on health and they're like well what do you mean no 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 i want weight loss but weight loss is health no 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 it's not like let's mm. focus on health let's focus on health promoting behaviors because weight loss isn't a health promoting behavior weight loss might occur as a byproduct of health promoting behaviors but it also might not and regardless as to what happens with your weight those health promoting behaviors have still taken place and are still yeah. ongoing and your health has therefore still improved Mm-hmm. and it's hard for us to accept that because we believe weight defines our health but it's simply not true so yeah. I, I i i tend to first ask and address those things and try and pick apart some of that that thinking that always means that people go straight to weight and then i go well let's look at some stuff that is actually health promoting let's and if your weight changes that's fine i'm not here to to kind of condemn you for wanting to lose weight because our society is built around that premise and I at a point have wanted to and still every so often I, I slip into these practices of going oh well I must improve my health I must lose weight and mm. then I go hang on Josh challenge that why is weight the thing you're thinking about straight yeah. away how do you feel are you sleeping well are you feeling happy <laughs> every day? there's so many other things aren't there I guess when when looking at these types of areas because I do think disordered eating practice is rapidly on the rise and this is something that I have a huge it's very difficult because it's all psychological, a lot of it is psychological, as you know. Um, and diet culture just seems to be, it's just interwoven into our very being, isn't it? Um, let's touch on privilege in this area, mm. Josh, because I know that you um, you speak about this a lot. And you actually, I think you opened the book at one point by saying, you know, I'm a white male living in the UK. I'm a mm. doctor and I know that that straight away being male and being white puts me in a position of privilege. Could you um delve into how that impacts health and outcomes, health outcomes? Uh pretty much all of our health outcomes yeah. <laughs> which is the which is the problem. I mean, uh, the the main reason why um the, the main determinant as to what my what my life expectancy is going to be um is based on where i was born and um the color of my skin and the parents that i was born to none of those things i have any control over and people don't like that sentiment because we like to believe we're in control of our health we like to believe mm. that we're in control of the of the good or bad things that that we that, that that happen to us in life we we like to think that we can control all of those and and we're just we're doing the right things and good things have happened to us because of that like we're able to shop at whole foods because we deserve it like we we like to think these things because it makes us feel better but it's not true and our we we have almost anybody has some privileges that other people don't and they're things that we haven't earned they're things that we have we're either born with or have occurred throughout our life that mean that we it doesn't mean things are easy necessarily but it means that things aren't as hard as if we didn't have those things mm. so you know it wasn't it, i didn't automatically get good grades at school but i was more likely to get them and it was easier for me to get them because i was privileged enough that my parents had money and were able to send me to a private secondary school yeah so it didn't mm. it didn't give me the grades but it was a massive privilege to go there yeah. and to have the opportunity. And I, we, we need to start acknowledging some of these things because otherwise there's an awful lot of shame and personal responsibility that we place on others that aren't in a position of privilege like we are because mm. we treat them like they're just not trying hard enough, whether that's health, whether that's weight loss, because again, not the same thing, um, whether that's whether that's anything. Um, we've seen a lot of conversations over the last year 
especially mm-hmm. in regards to the COVID um, pandemic, looking at um, mortality rates and looking at, um, for example, the, the the Black and Asian minority ethnic yes. community. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the 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 way these conversations were taking place at the beginning was everybody was looking for some sort of genetic reason why people were more at risk because we didn't like to admit that it was actually the privilege and the socioeconomics that was going on in this country that was the reason for it. Mm. We didn't like to admit that there is still systemic racism going on that means that the black community, both here and in the US and and around the world, are in areas of the country where where mm. they don't have um, they don't have access to certain things. Yeah. Just one particular factor, such as air quality. There are mm. areas within London, areas within the UK where, where the air quality isn't as good. And they tend to be in poorer areas and they yeah. tend to be more likely to have black communities in there because of all sorts mm. of reasons. And air quality has made a big difference to the way that our lungs function. And in a in something like COVID, where it's a where it's a primarily respiratory condition, that yeah. makes a big difference to mortality. And but we didn't want to admit any of that kind of stuff because it means that the rest of us that live in these nicer areas are having to actually acknowledge that we're not in control of this stuff. We haven't earned this stuff or deserved this well, stuff. Well, I think there's a lack of anybody speaking out about this. Like you've said, I think people just don't have it on their radar because they're not listening to conversations like this, like you said. So I'm hoping that you, by sharing this, it's going to make all of our listeners think, hang on a minute and just think twice a little bit because... It's just it's heartbreaking, Joshua. And I think as a mother now myself as well, to think of a child being brought up in a less privileged environment, going through things that I could not even imagine a child should have to go through growing up in a different area. Like you said, their lungs being exposed from that age onwards and forever potentially Mm. to a different. It's just it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I think there is so much more that has to be done and you you've raised a point just for everybody just to clarify i know we keep saying weight isn't health but what joshua and i mean is that you can't look at numbers and gather a lot of context or nuance the, the color of the rainbow you can't look at black and white and not see the color and the color for health is your heart your organs your happiness your mental health ev- everything else around it not just a number on the scales and that's what's so important. But Joshua, I must go on to questions from our listeners um, mm. because they just, they need your help. <laughs> um, Evie has said, um, I'm so stressed out that I need an f- item of food that's going to give me a lift. What can I eat? It's very oh. to the point. I'm not <laughs> so sure that that's the, <laughs> you go for it. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, I think we, we, I would I would challenge it, I think, really, mm. in regards to um, there's a lot of talk around food and mood and anxiety and depression and mental health. And although our overall food patterns can definitely make a difference and, you know, certain certain specific deficiencies of certain minerals and vitamins can definitely impact our mental health. In general, there isn't going to be a particular food item. Um, that is going to improve things drastically even though we we get sold certain things as superfoods or like it's got lots of this in it therefore it's going to improve your mental health it's it's just not the case Um, and I'd probably argue that if you're in a situation where you're looking for that kind of magical item that's going to help the stress around food and your relationship with food is probably having a much bigger impact on your mental health than you would want to acknowledge or realize and so I, I, this is a hard, I mean, this is this is a long conversation and probably something to thrash out with a friend <laughs> or, you know, talking about this kind of stuff mm. and delving into it. But ha- maybe maybe start identifying some of this kind of stuff. If there are, if you want to change your overall food patterns and get more veg in, just generally get more nutrients in, that's a good thing. But don't do that solely with the, with the promise to yourself that it's going to fix a mental health issue or cure something. Yeah. It's more just that's a good thing to do anyway. And let's try and remove some of the stress and the anxiety around food choices because that's having a much bigger impact than you probably realize. Yeah, very, very wise words and exactly what I would say there. Um, Zoe, oh, we haven't brought this up yet, Joshua. That's why I'm bringing this question in. There's so many to choose from. But Zoe said, I've been doing keto for Mm. months. Everybody seems to be doing it, but I'm not seeing any results. Should I just keep going? (laughs) 
well, what what do you mean by results? Exactly. Because uh, I'm I think, assuming again, it's weight here. I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah. And this is the thing, right? It's, it's well, keto is just a dietary pattern that cuts out most of your carbs. It's not good for you. I, I'm going to be blatant with that in regards to the fact that there are lots of issues with the, um, not getting enough fiber. Mm. So it's not good for your gut. Um, energy levels, because carbohydrates are not evil and your body uses them <laughs> like that's normal. Uh, and there's there's also big questions around levels of saturated fat and cholesterol changing when somebody goes on a ketogenic diet that things change quite rapidly. Um, so first off, I would say, why are you doing it? Um, and then secondly, I would go, well, let's let's just try and get back to introducing some carbs because that's the way our bodies are designed to work. We're not designed to cut out entire macronutrients. Um, everybody's doing it because it's the it's one of the latest fads to that promises weight loss. Um, but again, it, nothing promises weight loss. Like yeah. weight loss is governed by our energy balance uh, and sustainability is governed by hundreds of other factors that most of which we don't have control over. So mm. yeah, it, it, with it not working or not seeing results, that's probably because you're looking for the wrong results. If you're wanting actual health, stick some carbs back in, please. <laughs> it's just so much yeah. better for you. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Not a fan of keto over here or any diets for that matter, like especially that extreme. Um, Brenda, um, has said, now there's another thing that I can't wait for you to get stuck into. I'm very confused about dairy. One minute it's good for us, the next minute it's bad. I've been told that saturated fat doesn't increase my risk of heart disease. So Brenda's clearly very confused here. What are your, your thoughts on this? Yeah, um... It, this is a bit like the conversations around the flat earth. And what I mean by that is if you go on social media, you can find a lot of people, especially people who claim to be scientists, saying that the earth is flat. Can you? That, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, you can. Don't, don't Google it. But oh my the, goodness, but I'm going issue, to have to now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the issue is that can give you a very skewed view of what's right or what the actual conversations are. And it can make you think that, that people are confused about this and, and maybe there's no, maybe it's not, there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. And the reason I bring that up is because the conversations around saturated fat are quite similar. There are people who are very vocal, doctors who are very vocal in the public sphere, who are incredibly misleading when it comes to saturated fat. And they've decided that saturated fat doesn't matter and it's not an issue and it doesn't cause any problems. And, and just a little secret, they all promote low carb, high fat diets. Oh dear. Um, because of course yeah. they do, because it fits their rhetoric, it fits their identity and their way of eating. And it's incredibly problematic and they all need to shut up. However, there is some confusion around dairy. And so just to cover that briefly, saturated fat categorically does have an impact on our cholesterol and we can eat some of it, absolutely fine but we just need to be cognizant of it. We need to be aware of it and not overdo it in regards to saturated fat. So don't start stirring coconut oil into your coffee. It's a terrible idea. Oh no! However, yeah. dairy, we used to think the saturated fat in dairy has the same effect, but we found some wonderful things through some amazing science that unless it's butter, all the other types of dairy actually have something in regards to the way that the molecules work in the dairy that means that it doesn't affect our cholesterol. So the saturated fat in things like cheese and milk doesn't have a negative impact on our on our cardiovascular risk. So that's great. So dairy is perfectly fine. It doesn't increase cancer or it doesn't increase our risk of bone fractures like these other myths that say that it does. Mm. Um, be aware of butter, um, but otherwise you, you definitely don't need to be afraid of it. Perfectly answered, thank you. Now Joshua, we're going to move on to our fact or fiction round, spice things up a bit. Are you ready? Mm. I think last time you asked me this, I gave you some in-between answers. So let's see if some of those come up too. <laughs> Maybe I think I answered It was great <laughs> fun. Let, let, let's repeat. Okay. Macros should be included in every meal. I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with fact. Protein, carbs and fat is good. Why avoid any of them? Neither of them are bad for you. Raw <laughs> vegan is the healthiest diet you can have. Nope, one of the worst. If you want to lose your periods, go for it. Um, if you don't, then I would suggest you cook some of your food. We are alive as a population today because we learned to cook. So why are we avoiding that? <laughs> Free sugars contribute more to weight gain than fat. Uh, I don't think you can answer a necessary... I don't, you can't blame one particular macronutrient, so false. Uh, you know, weight gain is incredibly complex um, and... Anything that has a lot of energy in it can contribute to that. 
but nothing is necessarily the culprit. Chocolate is addictive. Uh, it's very nice. <laughs> Depends what you mean by addictive. Um, no, I think this goes down the whole sugar is addictive, like hard drugs nonsense, and that's just yeah. simply not true. We can enjoy something, and we can uh, something can be habit forming when it's incredibly mm. palatable. So we can it, we can form habits for eating chocolate, but it's not addictive. Nobody starts getting you know sh- chocolate withdrawals and shakes and selling their house to get more chocolate. It's just not the case. <laughs> Social media is changing the way people eat. Yes, true. Um, and depending on how you use it, either for the better or for the worse. So something to be aware of. Nutrients, not numbers, are what is important when it comes to food. Yeah. Although it's a weird one. It's a complicated one because it's also numbers mm. of nutrients um, if we want to go proper technical. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would change that around and I would go dietary patterns are what, are, are what are important when it comes to food and neither of the other two. Brilliant. Miracle claims are too good to be true. Oh, miracle claims are just nonsense. Um, <laughs> so yes, far, are true. But it's not that they're too good to be true. It's more just that they're nonsense um, because they're miracles. That's just no... <laughs> don't 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 take away people's miracles sorry come on sorry well (laughs) when it's causing them harm i will do yes it's fine you can believe in the tooth fairy no harm comes from that but start believing something that's going to cure something that's not true and there's a lot of harm so i will unfortunately take that away you can still believe in santa though it's fine yes santa is a must you should only cook with coconut oil why why (laughs) no we already covered the coconut oil i mean don't stir it in your butter and don't use it as your only cooking oil use it (laughs) when it imparts flavor so you know there are lots of curries that benefit from it being cooked in coconut oil and that's wonderful but otherwise Mm. it's nothing fancy and all it is is all the saturated fat that you need in one day in one go so stick with the other ones we know that things like olive oil is incredibly good for us we Mm. know that seed oils like canola like rapeseed if you're from the uk Mm. They are also very good for us, as much as people like Chris Kessler and other nonsense charlatans want to convince you that they're toxic. Not true. Oh, Have I a love variety. The fact of fiction rounds. Um, <laughs> mindful eating can help with weight loss. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, well, I don't really know what mindful eating is, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's being cognizant around the food that you're, yeah, and thinking yeah. about the food that you're eating. Um, I think mindful eating can be good for health. Um, I think we need to stop thinking of weight loss as a goal, full stop. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would say I would say false, and I would just say it's good for our health, full stop. And finally, alkali foods can help prevent disease. Nope, absolute nonsense. Absolute <laughs> that nonsense. That was a brilliant fact or fiction round, Joshua. <laughs> I mean, I thoroughly enjoy them when we do these together. That was excellent. Although I will say. Um, chocolate and addiction I think that's something that must be googled every single day because when we were doing these questions gosh the amount of searches when you look at what comes up first with chocolate addiction is always near the top it's crazy and I bet it says if you eat dark chocolate it's fine yes (laughs) (laughs) it's still chocolate people (laughs) it's just got no milk in it It, that's the difference (laughs) I know see I love white chocolate I'm very and people just don't get it but it's it's not even chocolate it's not see see whereas fake chocolate (laughs) let's let's not go into my chocolate habits so and that does nearly wrap up the episode but we do finish with a food for thought today Joshua and I think I'm just pretty flabbergasted still, as you've mentioned several times, weight is seen as a marker of health. And equally, that all these nutrition trends keep coming around and that even doctors in research areas can believe that one size fits all. That's what really confuses me as a nutrition health professional, knowing that everybody is totally and utterly unique and deserves a unique approach to the way they want to live their life. I find it bizarre that people out there preaching that, you know, keto is healthy or low carb, high fat is what we should all be eating. There are no quick fixes. There are no, as Joshua unfortunately said, miracles. And just focusing on doing what makes you happy, I think, is the best way. But Joshua, if you could leave us all with a take home nugget of information today, a food for thought, what would that be? um, I think today... Uh, one of the things to probably challenge uh, is our, I think is our assumption of personal responsibility when it comes to weight and health. Mm. Um, I think think we really need to let go 
of some of these uh, beliefs that we owe it to ourselves to be healthy or we owe it to somebody else to be healthy because I think it allows us to justify some very disordered habits um, when we bring morals and morality into these conversations. Um, there's no harm in aiming for something, in aiming for behaviors and lifestyle changes that can improve our health. That's great. Like I would be a weird doctor if I wasn't saying that. Um, but I think we need to start changing our approach to why we're doing it. Um, and we're in a habit now and this has just increased over the last year when it comes, especially with, with the pandemic, it's become a, uh, uh, a thing where there's almost this societal responsibility, right? To be healthy for mm. each other. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's healthy, ironically. I think we are, we're starting to get this mindset and it's starting to amplify this where when we bring morals into our behaviors, things start happening problems start happening we start believing things we wouldn't have automatically believed because we're now desperate to make sure that we're not letting other people down or letting ourselves down so something to investigate perhaps would be would would be the thing i'd leave you with definitely a thought yeah i, I mean it's incredibly interesting just to even have these these conversations because i don't think that narrative is really put out there especially not by the government at this mm. point in time um so joshua for everybody listening where can they go to find out more about you and your published work uh i am on social media uh dr joshua walrich dr joshua usually then comes up don't worry about the last name it's fine um or you can search for food isn't medicine on google i i would recommend that you read the book because it is uh yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. I'm very proud mm. of it. And also, I think it's just nice to to have a medium like that to have these conversations fleshed out. Because these conversations are not simple. And they take time to kind of work through. And a lot of the time, it's hard to do this kind of stuff on social media um, in sound bites. And often the people that go viral with sound bites are the people that give you fight fake and false sound bites know, <laughs> unfortunately and that's just not how this works it's not how nutrition works you can't just it's boil so them down demoralizing joshua i find i find social media so hard to navigate sometimes because i just yeah there is no sound bite that is sexy cell because it doesn't exist in the world no. of nutrition <laughs> eat more veg isn't sexy unfortunately no. or eat more veg as long as you have the privilege to is even less sexy yes. so uh, yes. <laughs> right yeah. well joshua thank you so much for coming on food for thought today if you are enjoying food for thought you'll absolutely love our up and coming episodes so if you don't already subscribe then make sure that you click to be the first to hear it every monday it would be brilliant as well if you have the time to leave a review and that would mean that we could reach higher highs in the charts and that would result in hopefully helping more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and TikTok. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 